Welcome, everybody, to We Need to Talk, a podcast out of the Well Church in Edmond, Oklahoma. We are in a series right now called Origins, where we're discussing the book of Genesis and, and kind of taking it uh, a little bit verse by verse almost and, and discussing creation. Week one, we talked about how do we read the book of Genesis and how do we understand it uh, from various genres. And then week two, we talked about uh, the truth about the creation narrative and what you know is is creation literal is it a metaphor all of this and then week three we discuss the truth about humanity and what it means to be created in the image of god and then this week we get to the real fun stuff and we get to talk about the fall and sin and so uh, i'm joined by our other host pastor meredith dancos hey everyone pastor steve dancos how you doing and pastor ashley engel hi and so, Ashley, you, you taught this week on sin. You got the fun one of the series. Yeah. And so could you give us kind of a quick breakdown of where we're coming for our questions today? Sure. So I talked about at the beginning of the message that um, this concept of sin is just introduced in Genesis chapter 3. We don't actually see the word sin, but we see the origins of sin and the consequences of sin. And then as we continue through our series and then throughout the rest of Scripture— it all unfolds, it all, uh, not unfolds, it all unravels from mm. there. Um, but uh, what I basically, the, the sum, summation of what I said was, um, hello, here we go. The effects of sin are shame, loss of communion with God, loss of communion with other people, loss of communion with the rest of creation, uh, work is a struggle, and death. Those are the ones that I extracted from this passage. Mm -hmm. Any thoughts for anybody? Well, I thought it was a really uh, great message to really unfold, and we'll use the word unfold there, the reality of sin and how much damage it does and how all the good that God intended just gets broken in one moment. Mm -hmm. And you did a really wonderful job of then bringing in how Jesus redeems that and begins right. that work of redemption and that the rescue plan is already there at the beginning but it does show just how everything crumbles mm -hmm. because of this one moment. Yeah. Right. And, you know, just how it, I tried to emphasize just how it breaks God's heart, you know, that his good creation, his good, his very good creations, uh, man and woman, that they were now subjected to this, yeah. this life. Yeah. Yeah, we, we had several questions where, because there's a lot of, uh, there are some minor distinctions in, in some of the words that you used. Um, and so we had a lot of people actually ask, I, we tried to kind of break it down to one holistic question, um, but asking similar things. Um, and so several people asked, they just, you said that God cursed the serpent, but only punished Adam and Eve. And so actually you stated that a curse was never leveled against humanity, but they did, however, have to face the consequences of their actions What's the difference between a curse and a consequence, and why is the distinction important? And further, what about the example of Eve slash woman's curse of painful pregnancy and birth? Mm -hmm. So we'll start with the first part of yeah. the question, and then we'll move on to the, the pregnancy and childbirth Yeah, part. what's the difference between a curse and a consequence? Sure. So the Hebrew word used for curse in this passage is the word arar, which, um, correct me if I'm wrong, means the, rem the removal of God's presence. Yeah, that's how we would, we would read it. Yeah. Right, that God is not present in a situation. And so, uh, you know, we see it used elsewhere in Scripture. In this particular passage, it is only applied to the serpent, God's enemy, and to the ground. 
Mm-hmm. Never, ever is this word applied to humanity. And Mary, you had some Yeah, so I mean, thoughts. that's, I think this is a great question of, you know, what's the difference between a curse and a consequence? Yeah. And again, a curse, Ashley pointed out exactly, that word is only used with the serpent and the ground. And uh, when it comes to, the way that we've always talked about in our house, you know, a curse is an intentional decision. It's an intentional yeah. action. And so we see that God makes an intentional decision around the serpent and around the ground of removing his presence. And a consequence is the result of something. And right. so in our house, we don't use the word consequence when we're talking about parenting because consequence feels we've, we've associated that with punishment. Like here's your punishment. I'm going to give you a consequence rather than what the word consequence really means is it's the result of a decision or an action. And so what we're seeing with Adam and Eve is God telling them, this is the result of your decision. You Because they were created in freedom. They were created to have freedom and to decide with that freedom, would they decide for God or against God? And they, they decided against God. They aligned themselves with the serpent. And in that way, there's a result of that decision. And the result of that decision is God chooses to withdraw his presence in that moment, which then makes all of this chaos and yeah. all of this harm come about. So the result of that, and, and Ashley, you made a great point about the word there, because this is the other thing is there's a lot of, there's a lot of theology that goes into our translations. So yeah. we choose certain words based on our theological framework rather than even what the word actually says or the general uh, consensus of what that word means. Sometimes we take the, the less uh, known or agreed upon. Yeah. Well, a lot of internet theologizing is done with a preferred translation with no knowledge of the original Hebrew or what the word actually means. Right. So so I think, you know, talking about like, what's the word there with Adam and Eve, with, Mm -hmm. with what he says to Eve and what he says to Adam. Right. So in the passage where uh, God is speaking, he's turned his humans back or his attention back to the humans. And he's telling Eve that uh, pregnancy and childbirth will be painful. And the word used there is uh, the same word that he uses when he tells Adam that his work will be difficult, that he will toil. And again, it depends on the translation that you use. Like I went through and I looked um, the NLV uh, is to me the most glaring distinction because for the woman, this word is translated to pain. I will, I will make your childbirth painful. But then for Adam, same word is translated as hard work and toil. So are you know, we got to ask ourselves how, are we applying this correctly? Are we translating this correctly? If it's the same word. Yeah. yeah. And that, that opens everything up, right? When yeah. you go, Oh, childbirth is now toil and and late and child labor is toil labor with the earth is now toil yes these are the things that adam and eve were told to do right mm-hmm. be be fruitful multiply you are given dominion over creation you're called to steward creation and now the work that they were meant to do because god's presence is now withdrawn yes and now these this is the other thing is throughout scripture over and over again. I mean, we've got, I just was starting to write down some of the references, you know, second Corinthians four, four, the God of this age, you know, John 12, 31, the prince of this world, John 14, 30, the prince of this world, first John five nineteen, the world lies under the power of the evil one. Matthew four, when Satan is tempting Jesus, he says, I have the authority to give you all of these kingdoms. The truth is what happens in this moment is when Adam and Eve choose not to trust God, 
and they choose to align themselves with Satan, mm-hmm. the forces of chaos are unleashed in in the world. And Satan now has dominion where God intended Adam and Eve to have mm-hmm. dominion. And with that, we see the result mm. of harm and strife and pain and violence. I mean, we're about to see, you know, yeah. we're talking about Cain and Abel this coming week, like just the aftermath of all of this. But really what I think the better understanding of this moment is Adam and Eve gave room for Satan now to have dominion here when God withdraws his presence. Now the things that were meant to be natural and easy with God there now become painful and they're hard. So are you saying that God doesn't directly curse humanity, but humanity is curse adjacent? Well, it falls under that curse. We have to deal with the curse, I think, in a way. And uh, like Steve, you made before we started recording, I think a distinction that might be helpful for people in that the definition of curse is is with the intent for harm and mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. so the distinction there which which is that second question is why is this distinction important is that the consequences for Adam and Eve are not intended to harm but i think you even said something earlier about they do serve as a consistent reminder of of the hard work and and where god's presence has been withdrawn and there is a difference there's a big difference between that and then active harm yeah mm-hmm. yeah i'm just you know spitballing but i you're pontificating. Pontificating. <laughs> but I wonder if, you know, that toil is, in a sense, it serves our good in the fact that we can't help but recognize that we need salvation. Mm. Because well, without it, we might just think, like, this is fine. Th- or this is how it's meant to <laughs> be, good. right? And Romans 8, we were just talking about this passage before we started, talks about that curse of creation. But the word, it talks about how you know, creation has been subject to frustration, yeah. to futility, but some translations say, oh, f- they, it is subject to God's curse, curse, which isn't the word there, but that's our theology. And again, we often, there is no translation that doesn't have to make choices and that isn't influenced by a prior theological mm-hmm. framework. So that's sure. where there's a lot, like, you know, when we're preparing sermons, we're looking at multiple translations because sometimes one translation gets it right or is closer to what it actually says than another one. Uh, but truly, with Romans 8, what we see is that it's about liberation. You yeah. know, it goes on to 8.21 talking about how that the, while creation has been subject to this frustration, to this futility, it is awaiting its liberation. And that's yeah. what we miss when we start saying God curses us, God intends this. Mm-hmm. We, we miss the whole rest of the thread of the story, which is that we are enslaved to sin, that we have chosen a master that wishes us harm, yeah. that we have aligned ourselves with the forces that are opposed to God's good, that lies to us, that accuses us, that uses shame. And Ashley did a really wonderful job of talking about mm. the power of shame and how it enters into the story at this moment. And so through the rest of scripture, all of this frustration and this subjugation and this harm and, and just the futility of life is attributed to God's enemy. And so I think in this moment, what we see is in that curse, God choosing to pull back, to say, Mm -hmm. I cannot fully be here. That's the freedom that you had. You chose not to remain under my dominion. And then the result of all of that, Mm -hmm. which is just brokenness. Right. And I think God points 
the the human's attention back to the enemy you know when talking about shame when they're hiding themselves and they're you know feeling exposed and and so ashamed um and they say adam says we we hid from you because we were naked and god says who told you that i didn't tell you know yeah i didn't tell you that Mm -hmm. that wasn't yeah Mm -hmm. my intention yeah yeah yeah, this uh, this next question they they asked uh, if we could go a little deeper into the doctrine of original sin and how does the fall of Adam and Eve affect us today and why is the redemption of Christ necessary for us? Well, which <laughs> which version of which original version sin? of original sin? Which denomination are we talking here? Yeah. Because I mean, can you give maybe just even a distinction between some of the different doctrines that? Because I think we have you yeah. know obviously a, a pretty large spectrum of people here at the well and I know people listening to this that might have varying uh, ideas of what that means well I'll, I'll start us off and then we can yeah. all jump in because there is there are different avenues with it but I would say the one that's most common goes with what we talked about last week around total depravity and that from birth you are you are you Wretched. are yeah like you're just a sinner um, and but it is often in the question around babies. Like, that's yeah. really what this is like. Do babies go to hell if they aren't baptized, if they right. haven't repented? Like, that's... So much ink has been spilled. So much. <laughs> you know, and, and I've, I've literally had people say, like, I, we need to get her baptized before, you know, because she might be, she might, if a baby is sick or something. And you're like, that, okay, well, everyone back off. So, you know, that idea of original sin is that... From birth, we are turned against God, and so our actions are are sinful. No matter what we do, we, that that's total depravity. Now, it's a, yeah, original sin is a view that, um, like, I grew up Baptist and not believing in original sin, and was told like, you're not born sinful. It's but you know the first time you know you you say no to your mom as a toddler, then then it all enters in and it's yeah. over for you. Right. First, sin your is first willful. tantrum has your to be sin willful. origin story essentially. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So it all depends on your, you know, your view of sin, if there's different levels and layers of sin, and then your view of salvation. But, um, yeah, I, to be honest, I got so burned out on thinking about original sin so many years ago that it's like... Well, because it's all about guilt, it's, it right? It my head. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really about, like, when are you guilty? And I think it really comes down to what you were saying, Steve, our view of sin, mm-hmm. which is very individualistic. You know, yes. I, I, I joke a lot, be like, you kick the cat... And therefore you sin, right? Like it's very much about your behavior and your actions. Yeah. And I and I'm going to talk more about this this coming Sunday around original sin. But I would say the original sin is eating from the tree, right? Like that's the original sin that we are all born into. And so we are all. I, I tend to see sin rather uh, than being your willful disobedience to God. That certainly is part of it. That is not. Um, that's not out of the question when we talk about sin, uh, but it is far more about we are all infected mm-hmm. with this. It's like none yeah. of us, we're all terminal, and, and there's, there is something within us that right. is turned against God. And it's not natural to humanity, but we are swimming in it. And yes. so we absorb it. it, is, it we're, we're born into sinful systems. We're born into mm-hmm. a sinful world. Sin mm-hmm. is cosmic, but it's personal. It's systemic. And so when we say original sin, we're trying to pinpoint, like, when did you personally choose against God rather than all of humanity collectively is turned against God and we are all living a no 
with God. And Jesus alone helps us start to live a yes with God. That's the freedom to say yes to God. But we participate in systems of sin, whether we want to or not, whether we acknowledge it or not. And so that's, I would say, do I believe in original sin? Yes, because I don't think sin is just based on when you personally decided to choose against God. And at some point you, you had the choice, like you didn't have to choose against God, but you did. Cause that makes it so, it makes salvation individualistic. It makes sin individualistic rather than saying you're saying it's both of those it's so. both of those because we do have yeah, to take responsibility aspect yeah. to it yeah, not, yeah just a, a personal choice yeah and so you can't choose against original sin it is just the air that we breathe mm-hmm. there's something obviously very horribly wrong <laughs> you yeah know? i mean no one can argue yeah, with have you that been here like <laughs> have you been here are you yeah but we have turned it into like <laughs> well see we know that children are sinners because you know they have a tantrum or you tell them not to touch something and they do and see that sinful nature and you're like well maybe that's also developmental and like you know identifying getting your own identity yeah. but could we do be, see could be three you yeah know? <laughs> you know but there's also there is like you know enmity that's yeah. just part, like there's a selfishness yeah. that's part of us and i because i always say nothing brings out your inner three-year-old and hang out with a three-year-old right like yeah i mean if you're a parent <laughs> and you have a like imogen went through a stage where she was three and she would tell me that i i'd never be her best friend she's like you never be my best friend and i every night wanted to say i already have a best friend and it's not you, you know, I, and now, I do say it regularly. <laughs> Noah does it all the time. You're not, you're not going to be my best friend. I was like, I never was. Yeah. Mom's my best friend. So how about that? Buddy? I don't want to be your best friend, <laughs> but like, you know, like we think, Oh, we're so above that. But, and when you get into it, you're like, Oh, I want to, I want to hit back or like image would stick her tongue out. And I'd just be like, I want to stick my tongue out back at I'm you. I'm so mad. Yeah. Face. So mad. <laughs> and so there is something in us that is quick to fight yeah. that, uh, there's enmity, there's strife and we're all born into so it. So we're born with a sin condition. Yeah. Depending on how you define it is synonymous with original sin and some views of it. Right? Yeah. But it, you know, and we choose sin. All this, like we make sinful choices, and both are true. But I think the debate around original sin is trying to separate those two things. That you know, Steve, your tradition is like, no, there is no original sin. You are responsible for your sin. Mm-hmm. And then this doctrine of original sin is like, oh, well, you are a sinner from birth, and you couldn't choose otherwise. And we say, well, both yeah. of those are true. Right. Yeah. There's, yeah, the distinction there being for me, yeah, there is that understanding of like growing up you're born you're born sinful before you can even make choices like it's already sin like and i'm going like i don't really know how that works but the idea of it being more or less that you know when god's you've chosen to not live under my dominion and and removing his hand is that like we're born into a world where that is no longer our story that we are under god's dominion but this is the ground that that he's given and that that to me is a much different picture than this idea of wretched from the moment of birth. Yeah, and, it's that know. like because of one. I mean, this is what scripture says over and over again. Because of the choice of one human, death entered for all. Yeah. Right. And so that's what we would say. The original sin is eating from the tree that results from death because mm-hmm. God withdraws his presence. We're no longer in his will. We're no longer under that same Edenic protection where it's like, oh, mm-hmm. you know, we will live forever. You're like, no, death is now part of the story. It's it's a tragic story. Uh, so Adam, Adam's original sin is what started all of this. And yet we don't escape it. None yeah. of us escape it. Mm-hmm. Now that you've summed it up so well, I wanted to throw a curveball. You want to oh be the yay. devil's advocate? No, I just thought it was interesting. I heard N.T. Wright speaking recently about he's pondering the idea that um, perhaps Adam and Eve were meant 
to die a physical death before they yeah. ate the fruit, but eating the fruit would cause a spiritual death. And in that way, it kind of goes with like basically two levels of death and then two levels of sin as well. Hmm. And this, yeah. So I, I, he's not necessarily like saying this is what I believe, but he was definitely explaining it as if Here's he was sympathetic, to, sympathetic ponder, to yeah. it. Yeah. So that maybe like physical death was already natural. It's probably his way of explaining why death was already kind of in on the planet somehow, mm. if you take an evolutionary point of view or something. But, mm -hmm. but mm. then there was this, you know, more real, you know, the second death, sort of the, yeah. the real death mm. hitting it. So by choosing against God. So yeah. that was well, interesting. That is interesting. And I would, as with most N.T. Wright, I would need a lot of time to digest. <laughs> and as consider. with N.T. Wright, I prefer his quote of, that's God's business. He'll figure it out. <laughs> that's um, a good one. Sounds pretty, pretty straightforward. <laughs> that's, that's my favorite N.T. Wright quote. But one thing I did want to bring up, too, Meredith, um, per what you brought up about the original sin was eating the fruit. And Steve, you actually sent this to me as a resource from the Bible project that I thought did such a great job of defining what the two trees in the garden symbolized. And so, uh, you know, you had the, the tree of life, which symbolizes God's own life and creative power that's available to others. And then you have the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which represents taking the authority to do what is good in your own eyes. So essentially taking the place of God yep. in your own life. And so that, it, that was the original sin of, you know, supplanting God, like, you know, yeah. In, yeah. In, yeah. in your own life. Yeah. yeah. That goes actually really well into this next question. Uh, this person asked, they, they said, Ashley, you had mentioned that, that Eve sinned because she was deceived, but Adam sinned willfully. Is that conclusion based on the absence of any statement about Adam's deception, or is there more evidence that supports that conclusion? Mm -hmm. I brought up the verse from Second or First Timothy, rather. I, I'm sorry, I should have had that pulled up. Um, and it's a it's a verse that refers back to this moment in our uh, in our Genesis narrative, um, and it's been used, you know, in a lot in a variety of ways. It's First uh, Timothy two fourteen, and it was not Adam who was deceived by Satan. The woman was deceived, and sin was the result. And, you know, that passage is used and has been used over the centuries uh, in a variety of ways to subjugate women, you know, to suggest that women are more gullible, we're more easily deceived, we are somehow less intelligent, we're more sinful, and that discounts us from certain roles in the kingdom, uh, just all sorts of ways. Yeah. Um, and it, and it kind of has taken on this view, like if you go back through art, painting and sculpture, you see Eve portrayed as like this temptress and she's responsible for the whole thing. Um, and it has this like sexual nature to it. And so if, we, if we're taking this verse, the original verse from Genesis 3 at face value, you know, we see that, um, I'm sorry, from First, uh, First Timothy 2.14, like we see that Eve was deceived. And uh, my professor in seminary, Craig Blomberg, said if Adam was not deceived, then he knew exactly what he was doing. He was sinning with his eyes wide open. Mm -hmm. And so, again, for me, the point I was trying to make this weekend is there's this possibility for this interpretation, yeah. right? Like, if this was the case and Eve was deceived but Adam was not, then maybe the story, the, the narrative is a little bit different than what we've been yeah. fed. And that's <laughs> about actually... Women 
that's actually the rabbinic tradition. There's a long tradition of that, which, so a, a lot of people believe that, that Paul is actually drawing from that in that mm. passage that, cause we see that Paul actually blames Adam for the fall mm-hmm. throughout scripture, right? Yes, it's, it's true. So he doesn't blame Eve for the fall. So clearly this is an outlier and Steve did a really good yes, he did. sermon around this. Well, I think he's still blaming Adam. He he's is. Actu- yes, he's because he's saying letting the, Eve off the hook. Well, here. the rabbinic tradition is that Adam failed to pass along God's prohibition. And so that's why Eve mm-hmm. was deceived. And and the point he's making here is that women uh, in Ephesus were not as trained as They were uneducated men. Yeah. like Eve, the yes. woman in Ephesus that he wants to be silent during the teaching part of the yeah. service. Right. Yeah. Neat. Like he he orders them to become educated. Yeah. So he's, so, so he's drawing from that. He would have, I mean, he was a Pharisee, like he knew the rabbinic Mm -hmm. tradition. He would have known that that was uh, just a common acceptance and a common understanding of this. So in many ways, it's not that Eve is responsible for the fall. He's still blaming Adam, but it's that, you know, Eve wasn't given the prohibition. So she fell into Satan's deception, the serpent's deception that much more easily. And so, mm. and then Adam should have known. So yeah, it's not, it's not, Adam knew, but you're chose, not that out of Adam knew, but chose sin and Eve didn't know and fell in the language in Timothy. She fell into sin yeah. just through being tricked. Yes. Yeah. As right. if like falling into a, a trap pit in the yeah. ground yeah. or something. Yeah. Well, right. and, and it's an interesting thought because I think for so much of especially American evangelical culture, I think the understanding for a lot of people is that, yes, if we give the responsibility of this to Adam, it's more like a he's quasi he's responsible for it in so much as he's responsible for making Eve submissive to him right. and she wasn't. Yes. And so yep. in that way, yep. he's responsible for it. Whereas like, man, if you really like start to flesh that out and go like, you know, no, she was deceived. Adam, like, you know, women are conniving and they're smart and they're tricksters and guys, I guess we're just, we're just stupid. Like yeah. that's really it. You it's like, were, we're just by dumb. Eve. Like we just <laughs> right. did it because like, you didn't even have to convince us. Like, well, we knew the truth. <laughs> I mean, they're, still they're reading the post fall right into this moment. See, yeah. There's Eve, a that's what they say. Patriarchal Eve, understanding. Yeah, Eve took control where Adam was supposed to take control. And right. so, that's what happened here. Adam failed to be the leader yeah. in this mm-hmm. moment. And you're like, that is Eve's just... never supposed to talk to anyone or do anything yeah. without saying, Adam, can I walk over here? Right. Yeah. <laughs> so I think that's part of this reading. Like we're reading yes. the, the, the result of sin yeah. into this moment saying, oh, because the hierarchy of man over woman was God's intention. And we do not see that. Right. We don't even see that in Genesis 3 when God talks about the mm-hmm. strife that's going to happen, that that's God's intention. It's yeah. the result. It's not God's intention. We see up and we talked about this last week that the mutuality between Ish and Isha, that male and female are made together in God's image is striking. And so Again, we we have to learn to dial back our theological assumptions when yes. we're coming to these texts and begin to see uh, this is what's actually happening yeah. here. Well, yeah. I think that's it makes it interesting that kind of patriarchal understanding of of these concepts. But even in going to actually what we're talking about and curse and consequence and using the same word for both of those, but yeah. very different descriptions yeah. of like men just have to work hard now and women are in pain. Yeah. Like and we're like we're the same word. 
but we've got to make this distinction somehow between mm-hmm. these these concepts and it's just it's an interesting way once you start to notice that throughout scripture yeah. of like oh maybe these are not the most accurate translations for these things and they do really drastically shape the way that you view yeah, these texts and things like sin and and all of that yes, see what were you going to say oh just to, to answer the question more briefly, um, that <laughs> yeah. Genesis itself. This is the TLDR yeah. version. Yeah. Too long, didn't yeah. read. Go ahead. Yeah. Go ahead, Steve. Genesis itself doesn't imply that Adam, that only that Adam wasn't deceived. But we we can read that back in because Paul is so clear in First Timothy. Yeah. Sure, yeah, and and again, here. just the possibility of this yes. interpretation should again, as I always say, like. It should uh, inspire humility, yeah. right? And 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 we look at throughout the church history that uh, women have been subjugated, and that pregnancy was viewed as sinful. And it, you know, uh, even pregnancy within marriage for a time, it's mm-hmm. like the woman. I don't know. There's some weird stuff. There's some really weird stuff <laughs> up in there. Well, the, no, speaking weird. of this, though, this that struggle between man and woman. I'm gonna let me try to combine these questions real quick we had kind of they're asking a similar thing so um this person asked they said ashley said that god cursed the serpent and the ground but not man and woman whose strife between each other would be a consequence of their sin so some people think that the husband wife power struggle or at least men ruling over women is god's design and then ashley you discussed uh the passage in genesis 3 16 that says and you will desire to control your husband and he will rule over you um, you did a beautiful job explaining how that passage has been taken out of context and used as an attempt to subjugate women. Um, but if that's not the intention or the meaning behind the passage, the passage, what is the passage actually saying mm-hmm. here? So well, let's talk about it. I was building on what we saw in Genesis 2, you know, of man and woman coming from a common humanity, literally, you know, uh, the human was split in half. Yeah, and it's, which is such a important distinction i think from the just taking a rib from adam and going we're we're splitting humanity in half to form two holes that's right and so i think what what um this passage does is it builds on that this equal partnership uh isha nisha equally made in god's image and um you know this this passage about you will let's see Um, you will desire to control your husband and he will rule over you. And again, there are differences in translations here. And some of them are sexual in nature. You know, there's like an element of of sexual desire that can be Mm -hmm. read into these, depending on the translation you use. But I think, um, and and this passage has been used uh, as a polemic against patriarchy that, hey, this, uh, this, situation where men are lording over women and we don't have an equal partnership in marriage was not God's intention. Um, I think it shows um, that the consequence of sin, one of the consequences is that marriage would now be a place of struggle. Because that's not what we see in Genesis 2 with this equal partnership. So now it will be a a place of struggle for supremacy and dominance where one is lording over the other. And and I sort of view this as like this competition, you know, it's just this constant struggle. And um, anyway, that's kind of what I I said on Sunday. Yeah, I think that brings us back to like who has dominion here now. And that when God has dominion, 
there is harmony yes. and that mm-hmm. man and woman, Isha and Isha complement one another are meant, you know, Eve is the helper, yeah. you know, the, the rescuer, mm-hmm. right, of Adam so that they can together live out this command from God to be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, that Adam couldn't do it without Eve. And once, again, God withdraws his presence, Satan now has dominion here, and we see strife and struggle. We see human hierarchy, and yeah. that was not meant to be the social hierarchy. Uh, and then we see this throughout scripture you know and it starts with the marriage relationship but we're going to see it starts then with yes. you know brothers and then it starts with nations it starts with people it just spreads this enmity and strife and to control and to dominate yeah and it it enters the human experience but it was never god's intention so when we then start to read that into marriage to say well that's the natural order of things mm-hmm. we would say well everything that happens in genesis 3 is not the natural order of things yeah, it's yeah. the exact opposite of that and this is the one place where we don't even think about undoing the fall, right? Because we, we don't say, well, we are designed, it is God's will for us to toil and strive. And so we should not do things to make work easier. We should always do things to make work harder, to be the hardest. We shouldn't could use machinery do. on farms because right. it was God's intention that we toil. Yeah, we shouldn't use email or text messages. We should yeah. have to like walk to people. Like, why would we use airplanes like to travel around? But yeah, we learn no. the original Aramaic right. Greek. <laughs> right. I mean, we think, no, we don't, we don't feel like, oh, we are intended to struggle we say right. that is the result that work mm-hmm. is hard that there is toil and things even in the best of jobs right there are there are days and weeks that are just difficult mm-hmm. uh, but we don't think that that's how it should be we just say that is how it is yeah and so when it comes to these types of relationships especially the marriage relationship we shouldn't say this is how it should be that one subjugates the other yeah and that one, then the other one resentfully tries to control them. That we should, that God's intention is harmony. So we should be, especially those of us who are in Christ, who you know God, God is undoing mm-hmm. this curse and the result of sin. That's why we see Paul talking about mutual submission and mm-hmm. you know this idea that you are to love one another as Christ has loved mm-hmm. us. And so we see the undoing, a new humanity being brought forth because of Christ. So we shouldn't come back to Genesis three and be like, this is how it should be. You're like, yeah. Yeah. absolutely not. Well, there is a, no, there nothing is a movement. in here is good. <laughs> I don't know how this is not good. much traction it has, but there's a movement to codify Genesis three, especially the male, female uh, men ruling over women. And they've been calling it the Adamic or the Edenic covenant. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cause I was looking up covenants a few years ago and then I came across, well, the first covenant is this one in Genesis. So I was like, Oh no, they're just yeah. making up covenants now because yeah. there's no covenantal language in there at yeah, all. Yeah, and explain what a covenant would be, Steve. A covenant would be basically an agreement between two parties, between God and humanity, you know, like, and, you know, some, sometimes covenants are one sided, more one sided with God taking on the consequences or the responsibilities, but it's, um, but it's, you'll do this and I'll do that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And we don't really see the first covenant until Noah. I mean, that's Mm -hmm. the first covenant that we see. So this, to make this This a covenant is is like, Oh God. Yeah. It feels like in light of this conversation that, because the way I've always read this passage in in three sixteen is that 
that is God's intention for design is that the man is to rule over the woman and not like it. So it's, I've always read it as it's, it's prescriptive and not mm-hmm. descriptive of yeah. this is the struggle that you guys will now endure throughout yeah. your marriage is, is, you know, someone trying to control the other and one ruling over the other and that power struggle there, because I feel like that, that for me, it plagued, you know, my marriage for so long is this idea of that. No, I'm supposed to do this X, Y, and Z, and you're supposed to do this. And there is, we're not sharing this thing together. There's these two separate power struggles where I I feel Mm -hmm. like that is us getting back to God's original design is the more we've become equal partners in our marriage, the better our marriage has yeah. become and the more we've shared yeah. this thing and it, and it feels holy. And and so mm-hmm. looking at that now going like, oh, I've had an understanding of this as this was God's prescription for marriage. As if Genesis 3 isn't all of creation breaking down. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's like, like, oh, but there are parts but of it. But right in the middle, God does tell you better. exactly what yeah. it's supposed to be, and yeah. then but the rest of this is not great. So, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and even then we read that into like things like 1 Corinthians 11, right, where we hear that the head of every woman is man Mm. but the truth is like so we think we read that as the one who is in charge right the Mm -hmm. head of the household but that word means source right so like the source of of every man is christ is god right Mm. like if you think about this the headwaters being a source for a river right and so the source we go back to genesis and see the source of woman is man when they're when he's cut in half right and so then that like but we go back and read, no, God is, God is always intended for men to be in charge. Mm. And we, so we, we miss even that language and we, we start to read it in all of these passages and we miss the radical nature that Paul, who's in an incredibly patriarchal society is reading mutuality is, is teaching mutuality into this new humanity that, that this new creation. I wonder what, Paul would think about that going like, man, thanks guys, God. thanks guys on. for using all of my letters that I wrote to argue against this thing that I was really for. But yeah. <laughs> you're taking Junia's name out and trying to make it a different person's name, you know, like a just, man's name. Yeah. And you're trying to like say, well, they're not actually an apostle. They just known um, the apostles it's not know Junia, of them. It was junior. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> we're yeah. Well, and I think what we're seeing in this series is that, our origin story can be so centering. And mm-hmm. I have felt that way when I received these these eyes for Genesis that were so freeing to me and so liberating, like, oh, it's it's right there from the beginning. And I think it can be so centering when you when you think, you look around the world and you think, why are things the way that they are? And you go back to this story and it's it's all there. Yeah. It's all yeah. there. And, and this reading of Genesis then does help make sense of the rest of scripture. And you know what what Paul is saying, like it just is so important to get this right. And I think what we keep hearing from our people is I've ne- I've never heard this before. Yeah. I have never been to church and not felt ashamed. I have never, you know, I've never heard this reading. Can you tell me more about this marriage? What does this mean? And I I don't know. I, it's just so important. It's yeah. so important. Well, and I think that for so many people that we've grown up and I know that I've had conversations with pastors who would agree that they feel the same way is that when when teaching like they have to be certain of a thing that they're teaching because if they have a doubt about a thing, then what does that mean for the rest of their congregation? Whereas I think that our approach mm. to the conversation here is these questions. It's, it's these things that w- when we're talking about a series, we're going, 
what are the things that we wish somebody would have said to us or what are the things that we wish we could talk about which i mean that's what started this podcast is what do we need to talk about and that's in the water for people is i've never heard it this way And, and because we've had so many people who have taught with such confidence things that they didn't really understand but because they thought they had to understand it because the questions themselves were robbing people of faith as opposed to building their faith and so i mean I, I agree. I think that this, I, it's changed the way that I've looked at. I just kind of tend to avoid Old Testament altogether for the most part is like, you know, the, <laughs> I'll just, yep. you know, and you can yeah. see it in the course of these conversations that I'm always the one going like, Hey, well, what did Jesus say? Cause that's a little <laughs> more important, I think in this conversation, but like, yeah, this has changed the way that I've thought about Genesis and, and that story of going, Oh, there's stuff that I've just kind of refused to shine a light on because I don't want to think about it too hard because I don't have answers and I don't want to just have open-ended questions about things that feel important to my faith. Mm-hmm. And so I just, well, avoid we're doing them. things yeah. that most evangelicals, most mega church pastors would tell us and we respect them. They would tell us not to do, which is to say, never say that. Well, the, your, your English <laughs> translation says this, but the Greek or the Hebrew, it says this. Um, and a translation choice was made and there's, and, um, so we're doing so, but I do want to say that like, so, you know, we, our translations are really good. Very good. They're really good good overall. Like I said, it's like Mm -hmm. 99.5% accurate. And then there's these places where we make decisions. So like, just because we're finding a few places where tough decisions were made or there were preconceived biases and they went a certain direction that, and we're shining light on another direction. I wouldn't want anyone to lose confidence in our translations or in the original yeah, it's not like documents. A, it's not like a 50-50 translation. No. Going like, well, who knows? You no. know, it's Yeah, they're, mm-hmm. they are very, for the most part, very accurate. And even mm-hmm. like when they choose a word, not all the time, but most of the time, that's a fair... It can be a fair translation. It's just not the most natural one. Yeah. You know, like... There are a few places where you're like, it doesn't say that word. Like yeah. when it says like subject to God's curse, like, it literally doesn't say that, you know, or like, you know, I always want to get that, that, uh, t-shirt that says hashtag anthropos. They're trying to do Jesus a shortcut better. for the reader and just to say, rather than saying you what it says, they're trying to tell you what it means. Or like what they just think it means, what it they means. assume yeah. it means. Yeah. And they so don't want to have, there's not like a little asterisk and then a paragraph below that's like, here's all here's the all different the, ways you can think yeah, about this. Here's the interpretive range that you could choose. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think even more so what this comes back to is like when you're talking about Steve, what we, what we should not be doing from the pulpit, which is true. A lot of people would be like, what you guys are doing is crazy. But and we that's, agree. Yeah, we're <laughs> You're telling bit, them what the Bible actually says. We are says. crazy. Okay? We're a little bit weird. Uh, no, but I think for us, so much of the church has taught faith to be certainty. Like yeah. You have to be mm. certain. And so you, everything has to be concrete. And that makes it so that it's this pile of cards sometimes where it's, it doesn't actually feel all that concrete. But you, so if you move anything or a Jenga t- tower, you know, if you move one block, it might all fall down. And the truth is faith has always been about trust. And mm. I think... Scripture actually invites a whole lot more of that. It invites mm-hmm. a whole lot more um, dialogue and conversation and wonder, yeah. and it teaches us how to think, and it invites us into a relationship. But God is unruly, and that's really hard. It's much easier to teach a very certain rule-based, just believe it and don't question it, God, yeah. 
and then everybody will do what you want. And and we feel much more comfortable with that. Yeah. yeah. That's a way more comfortable God. We'd have a much bigger church. We, we might, you know, <laughs> like this it's very clear. And you're like, well, there are some and let's be let's be straight here. There are some things that are very clear. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, very clear. Even beyond don't murder people, right? There's yes. very clear about how we're supposed to treat one another, what our attitude should be, how we should live when it comes to possessions. Like all of this is very clear. Yeah. Well, even beyond that, who Jesus is. Who Jesus is. Like there's no question in, in mm-hmm. scripture for that. But there is room in these stories to move around a yeah. bit. And and we miss the dignity that's given to humanity yes. in Genesis, the yes. beginning of Genesis, mm-hmm. but also the dignity that's given to the reader yeah. and the original hearer to be able to interact with the story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's that's always been the tradition. It's just recently that we've made it very rigid. Well, yeah. fundamentalism and evangelicalism, for all their strengths, their weakness was that they were and are still at root an anti-intellectual, anti-scholar movement. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So they've, in rightly reacting against sort of an overly liberal, not really taking scripture as seriously as they should. Yeah. They've sort of thrown out what scholars know, what Hebrew and Greek scholars know that the Bible says. And they're like, we're just going to go with well, yeah, they saw, what we like in English. Yeah. They saw know. a movement in the liberal mainline tradition of turning even things like the resurrection into a metaphor. Like yeah. the Jesus mm-hmm. rose yeah. in the hearts of the disciples and, and, Rightly so, the church has always raised a, raised up a corrective movement, yeah. and evangelicalism was a corrective movement that was needed. Yes, yeah, you know, uh, we are meant to share our faith. It's yeah. not something that you're born into. It's not something. It's not a social club, uh, and that Jesus was an actual person. You know, he's a historical figure. The person of Jesus matters, not just the concept of Jesus. Yeah, it's not just the universal Christ. It is. Christ himself and the the fact that Jesus as a person literally died on the cross yeah. and rose from the grave. So that was all very needed, but they were reacting to yeah. this intellectual movement that really did start to like make everything into a metaphor and allegory and analogy. But now there's a new corrective movement, I think, rising up yeah. where we say, actually, no, we need to read scripture better. We need to inform people. There does need to be faith-seeking understanding yeah. and people need to be able to own their faith and not just be told what to think. Yes. So I don't want to like bash evangelicalism totally, but I think, I think the helpfulness that it offered, it has surpassed that now and now it's moving yeah. into we, harm. Well, the church doesn't tend to correct moderately. We tend to go, mm-hmm. here's a correction plus, and then we're going <laughs> to, we're going to swing a little bit further in yeah. this direction yeah. and going like, you know, and it, I'm I'm hopeful that eventually that pendulum swing will start to narrow a little bit more, and we're not going to go as crazy each time. But you know, who knows? Um, <laughs> but no, I mean, like Steve, you made the case. Uh, it was a while back when we were talking about. I think it was this podcast, but talking about even how the Bible itself has become an idol for people, and that for us, as we read Scripture and the way that we view Scripture and the way we view Genesis, all of this is we take the Bible way too seriously to always take it literally. And so, you know, I just think that that, that approach is also a, a distinction for us, but in how we're, we're viewing this, this story and how we're viewing these texts um, and that we don't, there is that, that push, like you said, Meredith, to, to attribute words to describe scripture that scripture itself doesn't, doesn't use ask to describe us. Yeah, itself. Doesn't and, ask us to believe that. And here's a, a, here's a fun bomb that. to drop. Here you go. Since we're on this, we're not even on the <laughs> Let's topic do it, yeah. anymore. We I mean, I think some some of our listeners will know this, but uh, the Bible is not, according to the Bible, the Word of God. 
Jesus yeah. is Jesus the word is of God. The word of God. Well, it's, I was thinking that mm-hmm. in our uh, we've been reworking some of our materials for for new people and and getting under the hood of who we are as a church, and that is one of my favorite quotes that we have on there for us is that we believe in the infallible word of God and his name is Jesus. Like, mm-hmm. yep. and using, we're using these words that I think so much of society has gone, this applies to every word of the Bible. Whereas we're saying, no, the word of God is Jesus. Yeah. And that is what the Bible would tell you as well. Yeah. I love and that Andy Stanley always says there was no, the Bible, you know, in, yeah. in the early church, there was, was no, no the, the Bible. Yeah. And so <laughs> I just, I love that. Like, we have to come back to when you hear word of God in scripture, they are referring to Jesus, not yeah. the Bible. They're referring yeah. to the person of Jesus. They're referring to Christ. When the word of God came to Abram in Genesis 15 um, and spoke to it him. It wasn't leather it bound. Wasn't, it wasn't <laughs> the Bible appeared to him. KJV. Was it the NIV, NLT? No, can, yeah. KJV. Uh, <laughs> no, but like, it, but once you start reading a lot, especially of the New Testament with that light and being like, oh, it's actually referring to Jesus. Changes And everything. by extension, the message of Jesus as well. Yeah. Which is, you know, you can't get that without the Bible. But yeah, it just starts to change your reading of scripture. So, mm-hmm. yeah. All right, so let's get, let's, we'll jump back on. This is our last question. Um, They said, Ashley, you said on Sunday that, quote, we choose what hurts us every day. They said, I agree in the cosmic understanding of sin that, of course, we are all to blame, but I'm having trouble understanding this statement exactly. Uh, A sin or a choice that someone else makes may hurt me, but I had nothing to do with that. Mm. So, uh Explain yourself, I guess, is Explain what they're yourself. saying. <laughs> Defend yourself, Defend Ashley. Yourself. <laughs> I can mansplain for Ashley. Oh, can you go for You know what? Yeah. I think what Ashley I'll meant here is, where's no. Jeff? I'm going to ask Jeff this time. <laughs> My husband. No, Steve, please can, go ahead, and I'll, right. I'll jump in if I, if I, I disagree. Yeah. I, it's an, it gets back to what we were talking about earlier, I think, that this questioner is asking, like, well, we do make choices, mm-hmm. and we do inherit sin and inherit a fallen world. Yeah. And so they're just, I think they're wondering, like, what's the difference between my choices and is that sin or is the fallen world that we're all born into sin? And I think the answer is both. Well, and I think I I love that point that you made, Ashley, and I'm I'm pulling it into this week's sermon of that we choose what hurts us. Yeah. Because... This is why Paul, like, go and read his list of sins that we're supposed to forsake, that we're no longer supposed to behave that way. And, you you know, we've gone to, like, some of the big ones, like, oh, homosexuality, affairs, killing people. But you're like, he's like, don't gossip. You know, why are you being quick to quarrel? Why are you keeping a record of wrong? Why? And we do that mm-hmm. all the time. All the time. All the time. Every day. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, so we do choose what hurts us when we choose uh, to not forgive someone, when we choose to listen to God, gossip, when we avoid healthy conflict, when we don't bring something to the table and, and actually try to work it through, but instead we let things pile up or we sweep it under the rug to the point where it, spo- it spills over and the whole relationship's gone. We choose, when we lie, and we, we excuse ourselves for lying all the time, right? Because mm-hmm. we think, oh, it's, it's not a big deal. It's a white lie. You're like, well, lie is a lie. And we choose yeah, as if the color matters. I know <laughs> this is a pink lie, um, uh-huh. you know, but so I think there that goes to the reality is we still allow sin to master us all the time. We do. And we are like sometimes it is other people's sin that harms us. And I'm going to talk about the two sides of the cross this Sunday, but the cross 
absorbs both all the harm that we have done and all the harm that's been done to us. And Mm -hmm. both of those are true. And Jesus takes all of that on. But there is a personal responsibility around sin that we have to accept, that we are prone to choose that which harms us and harms others, even when we shouldn't. But we can choose otherwise. We can. With with, with Christ, we can. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's right. No, I agree. I agree. Yeah. I affirm. Yeah. I, I would <laughs> That's say. That's what I meant to add. <laughs> at least when I look at this question or this more or less statement, I, I think I understand that in their perspective, it is it is more that of thinking of the more grandiose ideas of sin and not those granular. You know, I'm holding something against someone. Mm-hmm. These these little decisions that do actually deeply affect us from our mental health. All of these things that there are there are a litany of ways in which sin affects us that we don't think about. And, and so, yes, some of those we choose, some of those others have chosen for us and that we have to deal with, but Mm -hmm. even our response and the way that we deal with those things also matters. That is a choice that we, we get to make. And so, um, yeah, you know, stay tuned. We're going to talk about this more, how we choose (laughs) that, which harms us and others. Yeah. Next week. There's yeah. more sin Yay. moving Sin forward. just keeps going. It's been so nice. Yeah. Yeah. It was Without it. It was real good until this week. <laughs> and now it's, and you love that it's only yeah. the first two chapters it's of the Bible. It's all fun that's and games. Like, that's really good. And then you're like, and now it's all bad. Yeah. It's just a lot of bad. It's all good. And then it would have been better women wrecked it for us. Like you know? Yeah. Really <laughs> thanks a lot, Eve. <laughs> what did you say, Steve? be nice if genesis 1 and 2 is expanded to its own full book like and everything was great well it's kind of like yeah. i always when i teach on the book of acts you know i love like you get well, to acts theory. chapter 2 and it's like and they were all of one heart and mind and they mm-hmm. met daily and people just kept adding and you're like don't you wish that acts stopped at acts chapter 2 but yes. no it mm. does not it no. gets you get to like acts chapter 5 and you've got you know people lying to the church and dying you've got like you know people you know, fighting and riots and all arguments. And so you're like, people, sin is still there. Even in the post-Jesus community, it still shows up. Yeah. Yeah. So this is our idyllic time is gone until we get to Revelation, the promise that there's going to be another idyllic period, but it's all bad news. So what it's we're not saying yet, is obviously. It's real, <laughs> not yet. Yep. If you're having a bad day, go back and listen to episodes one and two of this uh, particular yeah, just series. Just keep listening to those over and over again. Very yeah, don't tune in next week where we talk about hatred yeah, and please don't. death <laughs> and murder. Murder. Yeah. <laughs> or, but do uh, turn in next or, week. Or do do. It's yeah. going to be good. But because yeah. you know that that's what interests you. Yeah. True crime and all the Yeah, it's like yeah. it is true crime Bible style. The, yeah. yeah. And we, we know need to talk as number one on the true crime podcast series. Um so we're yeah, we're gonna get into it. Uh if if this episode, if you if you've got any questions out of this or, or knowing that we're gonna be talking a bit more, expanding on, you know, hatred and and that next week, uh send in questions to nine four zero zero zero. Again, we we love to read your your questions are so thoughtful and they really do like they shape just how these conversations go and, and we get into things that you know we never planned on talking about and so uh send in those questions review rate subscribe wherever it is that you're listening to this from and join us next week for another episode of we need to talk